Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. As a, as a marathon athlete or a, an endurance athlete, you're looking to try and push the boundary of that lactate threshold. Correct. So the theory behind the Norwegian training is spend more time at that lactate threshold so that your body more comfortable. I found it so interesting that if you can tweak one small thing, it makes such a big difference three months down the line. And I've always been one of those people that if I train really hard today, it doesn't mean I'm gonna do a disgusting 5K in five weeks time. I look to a year, if I keep this up and it's giving me that small increment, gosh, a year from now is gonna be absolutely power. Everything's gonna grow and change. And if you don't grow and change with the methods and with the workouts and with the new things that come, if you don't grow with it and utilize those benefits, then you're gonna handicap yourself. Do you think that carbon fiber shoes can make a difference in your running speed? You should try Cool Ideas Fiber Internet Solutions for your home or business. They're fast, effective, and take the podium for the best customer service in the game. Nicola! Davide! My boy, we've, we've got a very, very, very <laughs> high-profile elite athlete joining us tonight. I hope you're excited. Tell me about this athlete, Davy. Okay, let me, let me take it back a bit, because he's not high-profile and he's technically not elite, but he's, uh, his name is Matt Walsh. He's a, he's a local runner. He's, he runs out of Amschlange. But he's got a really interesting story. You know, he's only been running for two years now. He came off the yachts and wanted to get into the fitness scene. So kind of like stumbled into doing, you know, some Tin Mans and, and triathlons. And I, you know, ran a bit with him for quite some time and saw some potential. And it's just, it's been really unbelievable. I mean, watching his progression. And, you know, he's just, he, he adopts a very interesting training program, uh, which we talk quite a lot about and just different training techniques and all of that. But he's progressed, you know, to a level where he's, you know, surpassed my training. He, he's just, he's obviously unleashed, unleashed quite a bit of potential and, and, he's, and he's, you know, adapting to a program that's really suiting him. So it's a super, super interesting conversation. Yeah, I think it's a topic that a lot of runners struggle with, you know, understanding different training methods. There's so much out there yeah. that you can research, that you can find, that you can listen to. And it's actually a breath of fresh air chatting to someone that is actually walking the walk, you know, he's he's applying this type of training full wholeheartedly and he's seen some incredible benefits. So as I even said to him off air, it's, you know, it makes complete sense for him to be doing it this way. He's seen the improvements, his running is is showcasing that the hard work that he's putting in is definitely not going wasted. He hasn't picked up any niggles other than what Davey has sort of caused (laughs) for him via pushing. But, you know, as an amateur, it's, it's easy to understand the theory but it's very hard to put into practice. You know, we have 
we have real lives. We, we've got real things to worry about. Running is often just a pastime. To this guy, you can hear how passionate he is. He is extremely knowledgeable. Yeah. So, they, you know, we get into a really nice uh, topic of discussion. I think it's something that any runner can really learn from. And, you know, take the advice, uh, learn from it, do some more research about it. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about just improving as a runner and figuring out what works for you. And I think if there's one thing that I really took away from the conversation, which I'm going to really work hard on adapting, is just knowing your body. You know, Matt speaks a lot about, you know, knowing what works for you, knowing those different training techniques that work for you, and also things like, you know, nutrition, hydration, and just, just you know, getting in tune with your body, which I feel like a lot of runners you know, read a program, show up, do the program, and they don't actually know what they're doing or how their body is, you know, performing under under that specific training program. So, yeah, li- listen out for Matt's, you know, intake of, on just actually understanding how your body adapts to what you're putting it uh, through. It really is very interesting, guys. So here it is, guys. Controversial. Controversial training methodologies with, with Matt, Matt Walsh. Walsh. Enjoy, guys. Matt, thank you so much for being here to with, with us today. Only a pleasure. The, the king of... Um, Good I'm, to I'm finally be here. Yes. <laughs> Davey's very excited. You know, <laughs> Davey, Davey talks a lot about Matt's uh, type of training. He always puts it in my face and says, why, why aren't we doing this type of training? I need to be doing this. So Davey finally gets... And now Nick's throwing me under the bus. Nick's brought Matt on here to debunk everything. And he's mm. just like... <laughs> no, no. As I've said off air to Matt, it's not about debunking. It's just about getting a learner understanding behind what different types of training there are and I think that's the main focus of today's podcast guys it's just training methodologies uh, getting a firm grip of what you can do to improve your running yeah. and as long as we are trying different things uh, that's why I say it's controversial I mean if there's a topic that is controversial it tells you that there's still a lot of uncertainty around it yeah. so we're just trying to provide some some clarity because there's a lot of information <laughs> out there and it's about understanding that information. But I think, Matt, you can start by just giving us a little bit of a background about you. I know you come from a triathlon background. So basically got thrown under the bus with uh, my dad's done a couple Ironmans and thought it'd be a good idea for us to all sign up for the Tin Man. How long ago was that? Uh, that was about, what, two, two years and a couple months. So it's been a very short journey. Very short, very short, short and sharp. Yeah. Um, but so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah, so I got thrown on the bus, managed to get up a, a bike, and swimming is not me. That's not for me. It's like the worst discipline of the triathlon that I absolutely what, hate. What, you you're just not strong? or you So I'm not a kicker. I only <laughs> use upper body. My legs just dangle and basically drag in the ocean. And the whole time I'm dragging, I'm like, these sharks going to think I'm bait. <laughs> <laughs> this is game over. So... Basically signed up with me, my brother and two other mates and the whole deal was to work hard for two months and see if we could finish this sprint triathlon which was 1.2k swim, 42k cycle and a 10k run. So you came into it as like a very base level social athlete just went into like completely social. You just you just because I remember you know you came off the yachts right and you wanted to you wanted to get into the the race so I came off the yachts and I was actually quite chubby and I thought, shit, what can I do to to lose a bit of weight? Let me start gymming. I started gymming quite hard and obviously everything that I researched, it was you need to implement cardio. 
And the only cardio I could think of was running. Did a couple of runs, COVID came around, everyone was running around their house like crazy yeah. and managed to do a 5K in like 28 minutes or something ridiculous. Sure. And I was like, whoa, that was crazy. <laughs> I am a runner now. Basically, I'm locked in, let's go. And then, funny enough, stuck with the running for a bit, actually really started to enjoy it. And what, it must have been a couple months later, I think I ran a 21 near the end of COVID around the house, threw myself under the bus. Two, three months later, Davey messages me saying, hey, would you be keen to run a 42K? <laughs> I run. That is now, typical Davey. That's run, run to my dad's room. I'm like, dad, my mate just messaged me. He's doing a 42K. I'm going to do it. I don't even have a nice pair of running shoes. They were an Adidas triple stripe drawling shoes, <laughs> ready to go out on the town. Say, so Davey, I'm in. Where are we meeting? Hospital at like 5.30 in the morning. This is when I was doing that marathon a month thing. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. He threw me under the bus. I think we got to like Townside and I was just like, I can't do it, bro. We were ready to bail. But that's, that's <clears throat> pretty much immediately when I saw, first of all, you've, you've got the mentality that you just don't quit. 100%. I don't think I've ever seen you like throw in the towel. You've, yeah. You've never once said, I can't do this. Like you're always I think pushed through. running is... Very mentally based. Though. Yeah, of course. So mm. if, if you lack on the mental side, I think every person that comes into running, their biggest struggle is the mental game behind it. And if you can lock in that little box in your head and get through those couple of sessions, yeah, I promise you it only gets easier. And that's for all runners on, on every single yeah. different level. You know, I mean, like you, like I mean, your your girlfriend Danny, for example. I mean, it's 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 all relative. You know, I mean, pace is is just a number. I mean, it's hundred percent. Everybody's fighting that same each person's yeah that 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 mental uh, battle. But okay, yeah. So you you did the forty two k, and then and then obviously after that you when so did, when did you fall in love with running? So. I didn't. <laughs> I was always bark, run, bark, run, leave something to the side. <laughs> and Davey again messaged me and was like, China, what are you doing? Get off the bloody bark and run more. And I was like, okay, you know what? Let me give this a shot. And I used to do a lot of solo running. Most of my running was solo. Moved from Sunningdale side down to Amschlange. And there was a group of boys that always used to run there. There's Gavin, Ben, and all of them. So I figured, yes, this, you know, bumped into them a couple of times on the runs and didn't really know Gavin besides Instagram. And he comes up to me at Daily Dose, loudmouth. Hey, you, aren't you Matt? You are chick, you running here. You should come run with us, eh, dude? I love the voice, though. It's I think, just how he sounds. I think the first run I did with them, they just try to break me. And I was like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to stick behind these guys. Meanwhile, I get home. I'm like, Dan, that was so hard. Holy <laughs> shit. Ended up running with them a couple times and we ended up forming quite a nice group. And I always say that's another thing. It's a big aspect of running. Yeah, is group. running with a group and always finding two or three people that are definitely faster than you and training with them for at least two key sessions a week. And what that for me personally did was it kind of pushed my uncomfortable zone to the next level so what i thought i was uncomfortable at i joined a new group and then found their uncomfortable position and that was like became the new norm so yeah, that's right you've been very good with that actually yeah like progressing through different groups and even now i mean you found uh, ali and mitch and those guys yeah so we ended up basically we we formed a little group of basically social runners and they were training for berlin marathon 
And I was just hitting all the training runs with them. And I thought, yes, this, this is awesome. And then Ben's dad these, me, asks me while we're running, he's like, what the hell are you training for? You're not even, you haven't even signed up for a marathon or everything, but you're doing these 30K runs in the weekend. Like, what are you doing? And then the FOMO kicked in. And he's like, China, Cape Town Marathon's coming up. We're doing Berlin. It's like two weeks before. You'll have the same fitness. You just need to push out like one more week at by yourself and then hit it and see what happens. Ben was training for like a two, a sub 230, I think it was. Gavin sure. was just break that 255 mark, I think it was. And yeah, so that's how that kind of formed. But, and then but to put it all into context, obviously, so now you're talking about training for uh, Cape Town Marathon, yeah. right? And that, that was last year, yeah. right? So you obviously progressed throughout your running journey. Um, you, you, you're now, you know, exclusively running, right? Basically for the last, what, going on four months, it's just been running with the odd 50 to 100k bike ride thrown in there yeah. for active recovery. Okay. So in the space of two years, you know, you went from, you know, just getting into the fitness scene, you know, triathlons and all of that. And now you, you're very much a runner and you <laughs> ran Cape Town Marathon and you did Cape Town Marathon in what time? 248.10, first which, marathon. Which so is not a bad debut marathon. Not a yeah, bad not debut marathon. Shabby. And you're just getting stronger. 100%. And, and, that, and that brings, obviously, us into the, the topic which we're going to touch on today is, I mean, we've seen, well, I've seen, Nick's seen, we, we, you know, Strava is an amazing tool because everybody gets to watch what everyone's <laughs> doing. Um, I think it's a good and bad tool, though. Know, it, t- it definitely has its pros and cons. But, you know, we've, we've seen how y- you've, you train. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's scary, in my opinion, but it's like, it's like scary, but it excites me. And I always <laughs> like, come at Nick and I'm like, Maybe I'm like look, <laughs> look, what can, can, can't we do this kind of thing? Well, um, just, to, just to start there, I mean, I think, you know, Matt's story, the fact that he was able to run that type of time at Cape Town Marathon last year just shows you the type of athlete yeah. that he is as well. So, you know, you generally look at that and you say, okay, well, if he's doing this type of training, he's obviously able to sustain that type of training. His body is obviously handling it pretty well, yeah, yeah. but he is also a pretty higher level athlete already to be able to go and do a comfortable sub three hour marathon where most most runners will never get to run a yeah. sub three hour marathon. So he's already in that above average category. And then obviously you add that type of training that you, you're describing as as crazy training, but the, the simplest way of describing it is it's, it's, it's a high intensity focus on training you know where you know most training methods that you see around are very much focused on the opposite they focus on on running very easy spending a lot of time easy they talk the 80 80 20 20 rule so i hate it it. (laughs) it's davy's pet peeve and i think there's it's about finding the balance in between the two different types of methods but with with matt it's kind of that's what he's focusing a lot of his energy on and he's obviously improving. I mean, we're seeing the times that he's putting out uh, is, is even just simple things like his 21s, his, his 10Ks, they're yeah. improving at a drastic rate. So I still believe that he's got a lot of improvements left in him. That's why Orfe is busy telling us, oh no, my next <laughs> marathon, I'm training for a 240. And I'm just like, dude, you hardly trained for that 248. Now you should be going way harder. But give us a little bit of insights into this crazy training that from Davy's eyes, where did, you, where did, you, where did okay, that start? So Let's throw it to the Norwegians here. <laughs> and Shout think, out to the Norwegians. Yeah. Christian, good stuff. <laughs> Thanks, boys. So yeah, definitely 
as we go back to the triathlon side, there's three disciplines and you're putting a lot of hours into your training because you have to train for three disciplines, not just one now. So already immediately in your week, your hourly load is way more. So you may be doing 50Ks on, on running, but then I need to aim for at least 200, I think my plus minus was per week on the bike. And that alone is already, let's call it about eight hours of training. So I think... And how many hours do we do? Yeah. Of training, yeah. about eight seven to eight hours yeah. right now, for like a hundred k week. Yeah. So now I'm doing fifty k's of running, with that two hundred k's of biking and swimming. I honestly think I did one swim a week. <laughs> honestly, maybe even. And I think that background was the biggest help with the marathon because if I could go and ride a hundred fifty k bike and spend five hours in the sun, pedaling nonstop, that fatigue level. I was kind of used to where most runners would get to that 33k bonk station mm. and be like okay no that's it and I would, I knew from the cycling side of things if I didn't fuel right or if I didn't make sure that every step was hit in the correct way that's it done I'll never be able to run off this bike ever that and then as we go back to the the high intensity part of it kind of had to back then focus on I was never happy with the running times and I knew I, what I kind of picked up was if I laid off back on the bike side of training and I focused a bit more on the running, the running would pick up. If I would go back to that 200k bike week, the running, I would have my every second mm. or third day, I'd be like, damn, where are these legs gone now? They are just not working today. And so I finally thought, okay, you know what? Let me, the biking's there. Let me take a bit of a break off the biking focus on this running and really try to put in the effort because I'm not stoked on the 10k time, the 21k and the 42ks. I know we can pick it up. And basically went on YouTube and when I first started, I thought, fuck, <laughs> going on Instagram and, and uh, Strava and every workout that Christian uploads for a week, I'm going to try and do. It obviously won't be to his specific paces. It'll be to my pace. And I think that's something I've always been really realistic about is I'm not going to go and do something crazy like this guy's just done 22Ks at 33, 3.30 and um, with like a 5K at For 15 minutes run, yeah. after his training run. I've always toned it down and brought it back to like my level of what training. Which was relative for yeah. you at the time. <laughs> which, is, which is a lot higher <laughs> than 99% <laughs> of people's workout. But it was there and, and I've always enjoyed the after effects of training so i've I really focused in and i'm sure you will kind of understanding as the coach side of things is how is your athlete reacting to the training you're putting out and that's something i always think you have to be really honest about especially when garmin says at the end of your run please rate this oh, run yeah. <laughs> no i'm just gonna give it an excellent strong, strong yeah, yeah. yeah great <laughs> meanwhile it really wasn't it was a tough run you felt like shit and yeah, I felt weak. And I think that's where you've got to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, okay, that effort, it was meant to be an effort today, today, say a track session, wasn't bad, was pathetic, throw it out the way. Let me focus, recovery run tomorrow, and then I know I need to go back and I need to put in that solid session mm -hmm. again when my legs are feeling good. So I go back to it and redo that session again and then kind of see, okay, the body's working, it's reacting now, yeah. it's really <coughs> catching on. And um, talk to me about your fatigue, though, because like I, I, I look at the training you do and I'm like, I'm always amazed how you like, you just go 
because like I know we talk you talk about recovery session, but like it's a recovery session for you. Like I look at some of them and they and they obviously still quite a fast pace. But yeah. um, you just you obviously run a lot of high intensity workouts and you keep going and going and you know you obviously recover very quickly. Yeah. And do you think that the cycling component has helped you with yeah, that? Cycling is probably one of the biggest and best recovery methods ever. If you jump on a bike and you spin for 30 minutes to an hour after doing a big session, I promise you it'll spin out every single bit of lactic acid in your legs and they'll feel like fresh legs the next day. Yvette van Zayl sat you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever, and she, and she also swears by bike. And I'm just, I'm just sharing it. I'm just like, come on, Nick, let's... Hey, it's not that I haven't told David to my, jump my on that watt bike and do it. My birthday's in May. Hey, you want a watt bike. But yeah, that, look, that cross training, there's no doubt that as a second session or as a recovery session, it has massive amounts of benefits. And I think coming from a background of triathlon, that does put you ahead of the pack when yeah. it comes to adapting yourself to a threshold style training. And just to go back to that Norwegian yeah. uh, type of training, you know, it is something that's very uh, diffused in, in triathletes especially, but also in like your middle, middle distance runners as yeah. well. And I mean, it, Yes, you're training for a marathon and you've done that, but I think a lot of your training is based right now currently around sort of improving your 10K, improving your 21K, doing those types yeah. of workouts. But just to put it at the Norwegian side, you know, if you had to look for, for people that don't understand the Norwegian model, if you had to look at it as a three zone where zone one is easy, zone two is intermediate, zone three is hard, yeah. you would spend a lot of time in that intermediate zone am correct. i correct in saying that very correct you're Kay. teaching your body you've got three gears instead of two cool so it's an easy and a hard which is the 80 20 yeah. which i find so it's somewhere in between right and i mean something that and I'll, I'll pick up on it something that you mentioned which was interesting was the rpe part of it yeah uh, obviously rpe rate of perceived exertion 100%. a lot a lot of people look at rpe for an overall workout so say okay well today you did your track session and it's supposed to be a hard session so how did you feel overall okay well maybe at the end of the session it's actually quite hard to put it down to a number but perhaps say you felt like overall a seven out of 10, but there'll be times in that track session where you were at a 10 out of 10 or a nine minutes, out yeah. of 10 and at like a, a four out of 10 when you're recovering. So RPE is one of those metrics that is very much individualistic. And if you had to take live RPE throughout a session versus an RPE at the end of the session, I think- Which it, is lactic now, yes, basically. Yes, so we're talking lactate and, and lactic acid. Yeah. I mean, that zone two- that we're talking about that intermediate zone that's also supposed to be targeting sort of that lactate threshold where Correct. as a as a marathon athlete or a, an endurance athlete you're looking to try and push the boundary of that lactate threshold Correct. so the theory behind the norwegian training is spend more time at that lactate threshold, threshold so that your body more comfortable getting your body more comfortable to perform over a longer distance and that relates back to what you were saying so you know other people would get to 30ks and they would bonk or they'd, yeah. they'd run out of yeah. legs whereas with this type of training the theory is that you've done it you've you practiced that pace it's something that you know your body is comfortable with and through practicing it the lactate doesn't build up as much uh running at that pace 100 percent. so i how i personally like to look at it is if i am comfortable in that race specific zone i want to i want to go into my race basically being comfortable to the point where i know what i can run and on the day, surprise me. Mm. Because you've done the hard... The, I think the hardest part of everything should be the training block. 
And if you can get through that solid session, well, yeah. this is speaking Norwegian way now. Yes. If you get through all of those sessions, you know exactly what time you're going to run. Yeah. Like to the What you're capable of. What you're capable of and where if you can push it too hard or where too slow and negative things start to pop up. So mm. I know for myself, which I don't like to say train to heart rate, but some people do. I know at 165 beats per minute, lactic acid starts to build up a bit. And then I know if I push it anywhere in the 170 zone, then I start to get slightly uncomfortable, mm. but I can really hold it. And that's that what I'd say is my threshold area. And then anything past 175, now we're starting to hurt a little bit. So, I mean, even just talking about this thing, I can hear that, you know, you know your body very well. Yeah. And, and that's an extremely important thing to take into account for anyone that's trying to take on this type of training because it can it can easily become something that you overdo and you over push yourself into a, a state of overtraining if you're not aware of how your body is yeah, responding. Correct. So that's why I said be honest when your garment yeah. asks you how you feel yeah. or when your when your coach asks you how was that <laughs> session. Be honest because your coach is never going to know exactly how you felt and if mm. you mislead your coach, you're going to mislead your entire training schedule. So who who coaches you, Manny? Me, myself, and I. <laughs> so you never mislead yourself. <laughs> no, look, so like we go back to the training in groups is every single time I've got into a group, there's always been one person in that group that is a phenomenal runner. Yeah. And that runner will normally pick up the sessions for our group training session. Based on that, I really found that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm introduced to so many different sessions. I know what these sessions are for. I've just built like a log. And in that log, I can dig into, okay, this day, I really need to know. I need to sharpen up two weeks before and yeah. see what the legs are doing. Do this session. Or yeah. I really need to build a base run. So mm -hmm. I really need to start doing long and easy runs. And then for, like basically now, for the last four weeks, we've been doing long and easy and only recently just started putting in marathon efforts now because the long and easy has become easy now. Mm. And now we need to start testing out those those gray zones that you want to yeah. get uncomfortable See, at. I mean, and, and that's what that's what I've always loved about, you know, that training methodology is like, well, I mean, what we did, I mean, it, it worked for me. The 80-20 model worked with, for me for Cape Town Marathon when I did 245. We did a lot of easy runs. We did two quality sessions and we followed that program and it worked. But when you are a good runner and a high, I would say a high-powered athlete, an exceptional runner, then if you're putting the 80-20 rule into place, how do you push that athlete in its sessions with the 80-20? How, how do you know that that athlete's getting enough in that threshold zone? But I mean, so th that goes back to me saying like, I've always, I mean, I've, I always feel more comfortable, comfortable running fast. Like we know this, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> the whole of the internet. <laughs> I'm not comfortable in like a five thirty pace and all of that, which yeah. I, Nick always hops on. It's like zone two kind of yeah. zone one, zone two, zone two, Depends. yeah, zone one, zone two training and all of that. Like I, I hate it. And like, I'm very comfortable at like tempo sessions. And that's where like, I honestly feel like I can get into a rhythm and all of that. And then mm. also going down to, you know, you're training for a race. Say but going back to that, if you know in those tempo sessions, you're not hitting the tempo that you need to know, then do you slow yourself down or do you keep running those fast sessions? Because they're saying, say next set for you now, you need to hit 305 for that one minute and you're only just peaking at like 310 or 317. Yeah. 
then do you know, do you personally think to yourself, shit, you know, maybe I'm going to slow it down and just do the 4.30 or do the 4.45 and then you bang out those 10 minutes at, at mm. that exact pace. Mm. And since training with Ali, who comes from a track background, it's been to, to the point. If you cannot hit the session, then you need to slow down and recover more so you can hit that session. And I think it's more, when you start focusing more on that side of things, it's more at the higher athletes, not a mm. not an athlete that is your average runner that's trying to break 25 minutes for a 5K. Yeah. It's, you need to start hitting those zones mm. where you know that those zones are going to be your lactic zones in the race, and that's where you need to get comfortable at. Okay, well, I think we just, we, we're talking a, a lot around the different zones. We're talking, what, what you were also saying there, Matt, is there's obviously different phases in your training yeah. plan where there, there is a time in that training plan where it is okay to spend time running slow and getting comfortable at that, building that aerobic engine per yeah. se, and there's a time where it's time to push it at that threshold yeah. level to get your body prepared for that race, right? So let's just take it back a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about zones because I think zones on its own is something that, you know, we could talk about for pretty much the entire podcast. It is like a black hole. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, <laughs> essentially we, we mentioned a bit about the RPE. That's, that's a zone rating yeah. in itself. We've mentioned heart rate. So that's obviously heart rate zones. There's different parameters of heart rate zones and we'll talk about that. And then there's also your, your pacing zones essentially. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, you shouldn't ever go off of one of those metrics yeah. because one of those metrics can be thrown off just by how you slept, how you drank Food. throughout the day, uh, whether you're highly stressed out at work. And that's that's also a big factor, right? So we're not elite level athletes. No, None yeah, of yeah. us are elite level athletes. So we have normal day-to-day things that we need to take into consideration. We don't have the ability to, to go for a 20K run in the morning and then eat, sleep, and then repeat another 20K run in the afternoon. No, so we have to be... And I think coming from a triathlon background, you, you tend to and this is just my personal point of view that I see with a lot of triathletes that end up moving into running. It's like all of a sudden they have so much more time left in their day because they're so used to training for three (laughs) disciplines. (laughs) Now all of a sudden they're just training running. Like they just want to do more and more and more. But, you know, to take it back to the, the different zones. So we've got different heart rate zones. We've got easy heart rate zones. We've got more threshold-based heart rate zones. And then we've got our maximal heart rate zones. You know, everyone is individual in these. Uh, There's no formula that you can say that, you know, the old age, the age old 220 (laughs) minus your age. I mean, one out of 100 people will fit into that. So it's a lot more accurate. I think the best way to sort of determine your maximal heart rate is to do a max heart rate yeah. stress test or even push yourself as hard as you can on a 4K time trial or a 5K race. I think race. time trials are the best. Time trials are great. Also yeah. for, for prepping your body into you racing. You do love a time trial. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's important to know your heart rate. And you mentioned how the heart rate zones that you're talking about directly relate to how your body feels on the run. And you know, like if you're on a race and you're sitting at 175 and you still got 20Ks to go, you know you're, you're in, in trouble. The, yeah. You know you're in trouble. <laughs> And I think that's you in particular, you know, you know your body. A lot of guys will be completely clueless to that. So they'll just be running. They don't know what their heart rate is or why it's high. So I think it's important to know your heart rate and how it relates into the whole picture. But when I'm talking low heart rate, which Davey mentioned, on a, on a normal uh, five zone sort of heart rate where zone one is like a warm-up zone, zone two is 
generally between 70 and se- 65 and 75% yeah. of your heart rate max. That's what I would work on. Now, in that zone too, we know that you get certain types of adaptive as an endurance runner, you get prolification of mitochondria, which is essentially our power units of the cells. And that's where sort of the whole polarized type of training comes from. Spend a lot of time in that zone and you will build your endurance engine with that little bit of higher intensity work, which then allows you to sort of get your body moving faster. And I think it also depends on you as an individual. So now if you're an individual that is an endurance machine, and needs to build on their speed, then it doesn't make sense to just work on endurance. You should be working on your quality to improve the speed. And I think the same goes in the opposite direction. If you are a sprinter that has already got that raw speed. You need to work on the endurance side of things. So that's why it's, it's quite individualized. But that's sort of heart rate zones. Do you have anything to add? Hey Nick, did you know that it's a cool idea to eat a nutritious diet packed with loads of fiber? Oh yeah? Yeah, you should Google it using Cool Ideas Fiber Internet Solutions. I hear they've been voted number one internet service provider for customer service. Yeah, and you'll get hold of them faster than the fiber can work through your system. Like you say, it's very individual with zones and people, runners need to figure out their own bodies with the likes to food, with the likes to body temperature being one of the biggest things. And like you're saying, the the Norwegian athletes now have the core body temperature, which is just a whole nother crazy story <laughs> of how they swallow tablets and drink alkaline water to get their real core temperatures and how much it actually affects you. But not only that, hydration levels in the body. Water is 70% of the body. And now if you've got 70% with 30% being your red blood cells, blood plasma, which is the biggest thing that you need to boost for endurance and speed and stuff. If you are only, let's say, 50% water-based in your body because you're lacking the drinking side of things. Now that means lactic acid is going to build up 50% quicker, basically. Okay, The numbers aren't really right, but you've only got so much room that that lactic acid is going to kick in now and and really kind of turn on. So you kind of need to figure out your body in the aspect of how and when to use certain instruments. So, in, so <clears throat> you're talking about the nutrition side of things there, yeah, especially hydration. So I mean, eat a lot. So, but but what do you, what do you do? Because I mean, I've run with you before, and I don't I don't see anything like crazy. So, so before is coffee, natural EPO, hundred percent before every <laughs> single run. EPO cannot, cannot leave the house without coffee. What's EPO, Davy? Extremely poopy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's EPO. Erythropoietin. It makes you poop. Okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> basically the good stuff. Yeah. So for me, it's personally again coffee and a slice of toast every day. Every day. I don't like to eat before a long run, or it's it's more the night before. So that if, say, we're doing the Saturday long run, I'm going to load up chicken schnitzel and chips, my go-to meal, and I'm having two pieces of chicken breast and, like, a handful and a half. Whenever I tell Matt, I'm, oh, I'm feeling tired or whatever, all he, all he says to me is that he's like, <laughs> eat chicken more. schnitzel and chips. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, it's not going to fix me. I'm like, but I'm it, broken. Also, that's another thing is everyone's got to find out, are, are you very carb dependent or are you protein dependent and which works better for you? There's so many so, different aspects so, to so running. You sound like you've spent a lot of time like reflecting like on your on yourself and like and like actually fine tuning 
your body and your requirements, which which I don't think a lot of people do. Like, I mean, even for so myself, just, like, I found it so interesting that if you can tweak one small thing, it makes such a big difference three months down the line. Mm-hmm. And I've always been one of those people that if I train really hard today, it doesn't mean I'm going to do a disgusting 5K in five weeks' time. I look to a year. If I keep this up and it's giving me that small increment, gosh, a year from now is going to be absolutely power. And I think a lot of people want very fast, effective things like, okay, I must do this time trial for the next four weeks and I'm going to be able to smash the run. I think a lot of it is just getting your body used to it. And it's it's spending time on it. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, elite level runners spend between 400 and 700 hours a year on, on training. You know, that, that's, that's absolutely crazy because they're elite as well. So they're running a lot faster yeah. than what we are running in those hours. I mean, that's thousands and thousands of Ks per year over the period of many years of consistency. And that's generational as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what you see. You can't really compare to that. And yeah. a lot of the time, you know, that's that's what we're looking towards. You know, that's what Kipchoge is doing. This is what this so-and-so I is doing. I think social it's, media is the worst yeah. thing when it comes to that because I think people see, for example, the Norwegian method and how are these boys doing it? Yeah. And they've got so many instruments backing them and money and scientific or Scientology behind it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're testing their lactate on the run in between sessions in between intervals, lactate test, lactate test. Let's see what, where, where it's at. To figure know? out that relative zone yeah. and basically to teach that athlete, okay, this, this is your is comfortable pace. You need to work it into your brain that this is your comfortable zone. So well, you- I, I want that though. Let's do that, guys. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, we, need, we, need some, uh, we need some government backing, David. You have some contacts, bro. Oh, well, I try to find a lactate test. So it was like eight grand. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll do it manually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How do I feel today? <laughs> and Garmin? The, and these alkaline tablets and stuff? Oh, God, that must be bloody expensive, no, bro. No, look, I think we're getting, we're getting sidetracked. We're getting sidetracked. <laughs> let's, let's go back to the different uh, zones. So we, we've spoken heart rate zones and how that relates to RPE. The one zone we haven't mentioned, uh, which I think is probably the more accurate zone that you can figure out purely based on the times that you're running is your pace zone. How much, how much of your workouts are based around pace? So not really specific to pace okay. uh, personally. Unless really it is key essential stuff so tuesday and thursday yeah and saturday sessions or saturday sunday yeah. okay when we start building then it becomes okay from the 30k run of just very easy to okay i actually lie i take that back because when you're <laughs> you, trying I to work i think you when, you, when, you, when you're trying to work as a group on those long runs you need to even it out and you need to know okay what's the pace that everyone can comfortably run at so mm. i think the base stuff was with the group and we kind of all just knew 445 was easy and everyone can do that so i stuck to that for for that but mainly specifically the tuesday thursday and saturday session is uh, pace specific and that is getting as close to uh, marathon pace half marathon pace 10k pace or yeah 10k pace 5k pace threshold all and then it. and then yeah so figure out your paces for mm. all of those and then your threshold and then a, like an all-out maximum effort. But you should never really, I personally think, push it that far. I think it'll only do damage unless it's really in there. And there's a nice app to use. It's V.O, I think it is. 
And that gives you the time that you want to run. So if you put in 3.30 marathon, it'll give you all of the zones that you need to kind of hit. Pace zones. Pace zones for that specific time. Oh, we can maybe link, put a link to that app on the, on the show notes so Definitely. that people can have access to it. Because I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that's very difficult to figure out unless you know, unless you go and do that research and yeah. put that data in. Okay, well, I ran a 25-minute 5K. These are my zones. I do think the zones is probably the, the most accurate because that is a quantifiable number. Yeah. You know, heart rate is a, is a range and that's why it's always going to be a range. RPE is always going to be relative to how you're feeling on the day and also the cumulative load that you've built up over a period of, of weeks of training. But I think training by the zones is probably the most accurate way of going about it. And, you know, there's nothing better than seeing those, those numbers. <laughs> those improve. numbers pop up hundred percent. Because you didn't know shit. I used to be able, I used to do this, uh, this interval at three thirty. Now I'm smashing it at three minutes. a K over just a, a block of training. Yeah. Like that is pure improvement that you're seeing in it. Mm. So I think, you know, you always got to feed back into the body, into that mindset of, I need to improve. I need to improve. And, you know, I think, Yes, and I think always always have a goal specific. Yeah. If you don't have a goal, if you don't have motive, yeah, what are you improving for? The goal is important because I think a lot of the runners just you know they they go and they just want to improve. So yeah. they just what, PB how, every single week. And how they're going to do that? <laughs> that sounds like you, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, but actually, no, 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 no. I picked up on something what, what Matt was saying. Like it actually now makes sense to me why. I mean, if I was in your form at this point in time, I would select a race next weekend and go and, and run a PB. But you're looking... But you don't want to. But I'm, looking and you're looking I'm looking eight months' time. I'm just saying, that the goes. penny just dropped for me He's now. He's got a long-term plan, Davey. And I'm petrified <laughs> of what's going to happen in a year. But yeah, it, it does make sense. Like t- you, you, want, you want those results quickly. Yeah. And whenever you start feeling good... Even I want to hit it, even yeah. if you could, Even if I, at the moment, could shave a minute of my 21k PB time, I'd be there. I'd set the date. I'd be like, I'm going for it. That's you know, just, that's know just that. your mindset, David. That is your mindset. But like, I mean, you do get a big boost from that as well. So for you sure. do, you do get that clarity in your head, going, you know what? Shit, I've been working hard yeah. for the last five months. I can feel this 5k PBs in the shoes. Like, let me just go hit it. But I think if you hold back and you work it into that key session. Then you hit the 5K PB and you know on it's during the run. session. <laughs> for sure. Then it's on target for where yours, your goal is in the end run. But I think that comes down to being confident, to being yeah. confident in your ability to be able to achieve that, that dangling carrot at the end, end of the line. Because if you're not, you're just like, oh, well, I wanna, let, me, let me hit those low-hanging fruits. But then, <laughs> but then, and then also, Matt, I want to ask, like, you, you've had no speed bumps in your running career. I actually have. Tell me. From you. Which was what? Tiki Tonga. <laughs> when I was late, Davey was waiting on the start line and this must have been what? When was it? Two, two, three, months, ago. two months ago. And Davey was coming down to do a double Tiki, I think it was. And I messaged Davey. I'm like, bro, I'm running five minutes late. As I drive into Amschlunga, you drive into that main strip, all the runners just started running at my car and I was like, oh God, this is so awkward. There's Davey flicking his, his finger on his watch, looking at me. <laughs> So I get out the car, Davey goes, China, what pace are we going to run at? And I just jokingly was like, 3.30, of course, bro. Mm-hmm. Davey took off without even warning me and just gassed it. And I thought, okay, the China wants to go. Let's do this. Which I had no, no right whatsoever to be doing because I was probably in a worse state than you were. <laughs> and 
from not warming up or starting easy, which we normally in the first K of Tiki is normally pretty easy because he's a debaucherous hill in the beginning. I just took off. And this man was what must have been like 300, 400 meters ahead of me. And I was just like, I got to get up to this guy and catch him. And in doing that stupidly, ended up pulling something not drastically, but very uncomfortably in my like back glute area. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But that's not a speed bump, Matt. It's, 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 not a, it's not a speed bump, but then I also know, okay, you know what? Take it off for the week. Don't. I don't need to hit those numbers. I need to focus on that. I need to yeah. jump back on the bike. And I instantly, if you look at that week, I jumped back on the bike and I just sat yeah. in my garage and, and spinning the bike. And in doing that, taking the load off of the muscle, you're then giving it time to recover, but you're also still working your legs and you're working your... You're not, yeah, you're yeah. not going to lose yeah. fitness because you're utilizing it in another aspect. No, I think you're being smart about it. You know, a lot of runners would have feared losing fitness and try to carry run back on and run the next and day. Then, you know, two weeks later, they now have to take a month off. But that, you know, that's that's the typical runner's mindset. It's I got to push the body, and if I'm not pushing that physiology all the time, I'm not improving. Not making gains, and that's what I want to sort of lead this conversation now. Is because now say this is your way of training. This is the way that you have been training, and you're getting massive improvements in it, and your body's handling extremely well. So there's no reason to look elsewhere. But now let's shoot ahead. Let's say you get to your your 2:30 marathon, and even faster. But now you're starting to sort of plateau. Would you be open to looking at different ways to improve on the training? I think there's honestly, everything's going to grow and change. And if you don't grow and change with the methods and with the workouts and with the new things that come, like I know, for example, the old bullies always complain about carbon shoes and back in their days, they don't have carbon (laughs) shoes for their towns. Or their Garmin watches. Or their Garmin watches. We had roller wheels back in the day. Strava lies. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you don't grow with it and utilize those benefits, then you're gonna handicap yourself. Because I think there's a there's a big benefit to it. You know, it's our bodies don't like monotony. They don't like doing the same thing over mm. and over. If again. If you do the same thing, it definitely and I I find it it gets too stagnant. Yeah, it stifles. Yeah, and then. Then you start to almost decrease in fitness and hitting those zones. But and couldn't you, agree more. And I mean, then to go back to sort of the different phases of a training routine. So say now you're trying to build a base before trying to build and then go into a specific phase of your training. Now we're talking, okay, well, you're doing Norwegian training when you are being more specific or when you are trying to build your fitness towards a target race. But then in your, say, base building or recovery phase, then you're following more of a polarized approach. Is that correct in saying or not really? I would Because it is a mix. It's a mix of everything. It it actually is a mix because it's it's also just basically when the block's done, if you don't take a rest and you go back to your 80-20s, your body's going to be absolutely shattered. Crashed, yeah. And... (laughs) You can't you can't do that. So naturally, you have to taper back yeah. down to neutral again, and then next block, next race, build yourself build back up. Because I mean, to give people an example of the other things that we've mentioned, and I haven't really gotten into the details, the polarized training and the pyramidal training. I mean, those those are other well known methods that a lot of people follow. The polarized method being that eighty twenty principle, but essentially, if you had to split it up into a three zone again where zone one is easy zone two is moderate zone three is hard 
what the polarized method suggests is that you spend a lot of time in that zone one, about 70% or so of that, and then less time, hardly any time in zone two, even five to 10%. And then in zone three, you're spending about 20% of that time, right? So that's polarized. Then you get pyramidal, which is sort of as the name ensues, it's it's a pyramid. So you would say now you do 50% of it in zone one, 30% 30% in zone two and 20% in zone three, right? And those two methods, there's, they're completely two different schools of thought. Yeah. But if you're looking at it from, say, a heart rate uh, way or RPE way or a pace zone way, something that looks polarized to someone that is doing uh, heart rate specific training might look like pyramidal training to someone that is doing uh, following a pace zone. So they sort of mix into one another. And I think, you know, but if you look at what the elite level athlete, marathon athletes I'm talking about now, especially talking Kenyan level athletes, there's a lot of like misinformation because, uh, you know, there's, there's research studies that show that they spend most of their time doing polarized training. They're spending easy run, but it's not true when you actually I think speaking. they just enjoy running and yeah they, they just run it's the same as norwegians i mean in that that podcast they enjoy being outdoors so for them the a normal runner would be like okay you know what a day off i'm just going to put my feet up for them they want to get on the bike and go explore for the next four hours see 16 different coffee shops and have a good time with their mates and that's the recovery day mm, mm. so i think now that you actually say that, you know, it, it might be an aspect of all three merged together, but using the different instruments, your RPE being an instrument, mm. uh, your HR zones being an instrument, your lactic testing an instrument. Yeah. And um, I think those are instruments to just figure out your own body. And if you can utilize those, and if, if, if you don't, then I think you're lacking in that department and... And it's just about doing the research on it as well because, I mean, all the information is out there. It's just, you know, I like to use my body as something that I can I can trial and error with and yeah. learn from it, you know. If you're not trial and erroring, you're not doing yeah. it correctly, I find. And so many people just have their head down and they're just following blindly what, what people say. I mean, I was even chatting to to someone that is that went to Kenya and did some training in Kenya and she was mentioning how a lot of these Kenyan runners, they just – rock up in the morning. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just waiting for the coach to tell them, okay, well, today we're going to do a 30K run and we're just going to go. And they just just go. I was actually watching uh, three days ago on YouTube that Louis Autro... Oh, the Toza guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd rock up to the Sunday run that nobody knew the session and then all of a sudden they'd be like, okay, three on, one off for like 40Ks. (laughs) Go, boys. But that also plays to the mindset, right? So, I mean, a lot of of Westerner type runners, they, they... want to prepare for that session they want to know weeks in advance they want to know know what what they're doing they want to be able to prepare fuel mentally everything these guys are just rocking up and running so i think you know there's a big other factor to it the mind factor which is what you started with definitely and i think being comfortable comfortably uncomfortable sure if you're putting your body in an uncomfortable zone for long enough surely it's going to become comfortable yes exactly and so but then Coaches also write in saying that if you do that for so long, your body is going to get used to it and then you start to almost deteriorate yeah. or plateau. So it's okay, I'm in that comfort level now. Now I need to push on to the new uncomfortable zone. And that's what I think's kind of worked for me is I found my groups. So I've got one group that was doing certain sessions and then finished my race, yeah. took a break, found a new group now that are hitting new numbers and higher numbers and it's been more 
pay specific to detail that it works. Yeah, I mean, you're taking your training to the next level, that's for sure. And I mean, you pushing yourself out of that comfort zone is exactly what your body is just asking for right now. It needs, yeah. And you are improving through it. But you also know because you have taken the care of understanding how your body reacts to certain things, you know whether that session was detrimental or whether it was a a session that promoted your your, your fitness. So uh, talking about this, have you heard of the super block? No. (laughs) Okay, so I've got something for you, boy. boy. Buckle in. No, no, no. Nick's been dangling a carrot (laughs) in front of me. So Renato Canova, he is a well-renowned Italian coach, right? He's he's coached many Olympic athletes through all all distances, from 800 all the way up to the marathon. Spicy. Matt's sitting up, guys. Let's Let's go. So the super block, basically, this is something that I stumbled upon a podcast that I was listening to a couple of months ago, and then I went up and read up more about it. But essentially, it's it's seen as a way to overcompensate your fitness. So now let's take it back, right? So if you are building your fitness level, you're generally trying to build that that ability to run faster for a longer period of time obviously your body starts to get fatigued through all the stress that you're putting yourself through it. So your fitness is building, but your fatigue is also building. So your ability to perform is essentially not very good. And that's why we we generally want to go over a taper, whatever that looks like for certain people is different, but that causes a bit of an overcompensation so that we are ready to perform at at a high level when we race. Now the super block is directly specific to a race that you that's upcoming, whether it's in your building phase or in your specific phase of training. And it's basically going balls to the walls for a couple of sessions of back-to-back sessions. So in certain, in these marathon runners that this guy has worked with, he, he'd be making them do a 10K run to start off with at 90% of their marathon pace and then a 10K directly after, after that yeah. at marathon pace. Then that afternoon, they would go and do a similar session or like a 20-kilometer uh, session like at marathon day. pace. Double threshold day. The next day, you'll get them into a track session, double track session, and then back to like a massive 40-kilometer run at marathon yeah. pace or plus, you know? So that's all done in the space of very intensive blocks with rest on either end of it to create an overcompensation of their fitness so that then it allows essentially a big push in that VO2 essentially and then allows them to compensate and then train again normally how they, however their training would go and then put that in every couple of, every four weeks or five weeks or so. So that essentially what the super block is. Now that super block is also, it's obviously dependent on the level of running that, that you yeah. are. But essentially, it's, I, f- I found it to be an extremely interesting thing because this guy sort of stumbled upon it. He just sort of had his athletes do a couple of... Try very, something new, see what happens, see and if the they, body reacts. And they just smashed it. And it was also related to the fact that some of these athletes went from doing one event to another event to another event in very short back-to-back days. And they actually improved yeah. where you would think, okay, well, this athlete is gonna definitely going to get broken. But and Now that you say that, you, I can actually feel that to a certain extent where you go do the long run. I know it's not a back-to-back, but we did Regions 10K, absolutely 
centered a little bit and then we did our long 30k run on saturday and it just felt even better yeah and i felt i had the same experience when we were training for comrades it was the one week where it was my biggest week of training in terms of mileage and i just i was smashing 5k 10k pbs in that week as well 8k time trial pb it just felt good but it also I speaks, remember that yeah you i, I think you may terrible. have been there but it also speaks of in terms of the actual super block that you follow, whether it, it's, it's focused on a specific element of your training. So if now you're going through a big volume part of your training, that super block is based around building very much high level of zones. volume yeah, yeah, yeah. in that point. If you're trying to build your pace or trying to build your threshold, then that super block is built specifically on the threshold. So I just found it extremely interesting. I mean, I think you have to be a pretty high level runner to be able to implement that into Definitely. your training. It's not something that, you know, someone that's trying to do a four hour marathon <laughs> needs to even think about. But, you know, that's that's another controversial type of training method that I thought could add to the conversation. Do it. Do it. Do, do it. it. I'll attempt it. I'll, I'll send you all so the information. I'll try. Give it a go and see what happens. It might put me in hospital. We'll, we'll you have you back know. on the podcast once you've mastered the I'll super throw, block. throw it into the mix of things because for me, I've got eight months until Chicago Marathon. And for me, it's the next three months of kind of getting the basin but seeing where the fitness is at. One month completely off. Just probably get on my bike and just ride nonstop. Let the body recover and then a three months of building mm. really hard to see, just want to make sure Gavin hurts. <laughs> Gavin's doing yeah, it with him. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think you, you're definitely lining yourself up for success on this. And uh, I think I speak for both myself and Davey when I say we, we await these results <laughs> eagerly because we, we are, we admire, I admire. And Davey just wants to push it in my face. He's like, look, Matt's doing this. <laughs> the, if you can come out with a, with a very successful marathon, I think uh, Davey is going to have some solid background. shift backing. over to him longer. <laughs> <laughs> but I, to just reiterate everything that we've spoken about before we wrap up, I think, you know, it's about the timing of the training, the timing Definitely. of the, the, the implementation of your training. It's not about going all out as hard as you can all the time. It's also not about just plodding along and running as easy as you can. Yeah. Timing is key and timing starts at your goal. So if you know your goals in eight months time, or if you know your goals in comrades four months time, you need to be able to work back and, be intentional about the type of training that you're going to do. And Definitely. And I mean, I mean, race specific as well. You can't, yeah. It, comrades is a whole nother, whole nother ball game. So you can't go and run 80 Ks every single weekend, get the body ready and primed and then expect, well, I mean, maybe you could if you're Kenyan, but. <laughs> Look, volume is irrelevant because someone that runs 15 kilometers a, a day will end up with 210 kilometers in a week but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to run a marathon because no, yeah. all they've trained is 15Ks a day. Yeah. So the specificity of your training is extremely important. Davey's looking at me like... Your mass that you does not... But, you but 15Ks a day gives you... 15Ks a day? How many? How many? Seven, <laughs> that, that'll, that'll give you a solid 75Ks. Okay, 15. so 15Ks a day, twice a day. Twice a day. Let's do that. 15 Ks a day. That's 150 kilometers Okay, thank week. you, Davey. Thank you. My mats. I stopped doing mats a long time ago. Okay. Oh, Matt's got his phone out. <laughs> so, okay, let's call it 15. 210 Ks if it's twice a day. Okay, there we go. I had it. I had it somewhere. It's 105 if it's once a day. Okay, so <laughs> even... Matt's lit, Mr. Riddy. <laughs> if you're doing 15 Ks at in the morning and in the evening, every day for seven days, you're doing 200 kilometers a week, but it doesn't prepare you for a marathon. No. 
Because it's not specific. It's not specific. So you you got to be able to put that volume in and you got to be able to get your body ready yeah. to hurt at a specific pace Definitely. zone that you're targeting. Also from a mindset, because you know if you've done a lot of that threshold, you know what it feels like. You're able to talk yourself out of those demons that are telling you to stop yeah, all the definitely. time. You're getting comfortable in the uncomfortable zone. Yeah. yeah, And that's, I think, where the value of Norwegian training really is. Definitely. So, Matt... Uh, I Thank think, you, sir. I'm <laughs> motivated. I'm Thank you to you, boys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was a very, an absolute pleasure. It was a very knowledgeable conversation. I think we didn't we didn't gun for each other. We, we found <laughs> we found we found a happy medium. I've got a question for Nick. Would you ever go to the Norwegian side? Um, yes. Would you yes. attempt it? Yes. Would you trial it for three months? I'll do you a favor. I will be your guinea pig. So I would say, like I asked you, if I would get to a point where I stopped seeing progression in the way that I'm doing my training, I would, I would certainly try to change it up. There's definitely periods of my training where I want to do more threshold work. And I think it's about finding the right balance between all of them, as, as we have mentioned. I do see the benefit of just spending time on the, on the legs, yeah. provided that that is mindful running, not provided that it's just plodding along because you're yes, trying to you run know what, but that's where it also goes back to how you're feeling yeah and if you're plodding along and you're just pushing out that 30k because, because you, you have, have to do, do 30k exactly. so i mean that, that's you're only not making thing. benefits that's the only thing that i think feel like we're missing in our in our training program like i'm a big fan well, don't yeah. get me wrong <laughs> but um it's just like like uh, like to do a weekend long run yeah. and then do it more pace specific because at the end of the day we are training for two oceans marathons at a fast pace rather than just doing you know long runs for the sake of doing long runs at at, yeah. at long so distance like that would be the only one alteration that i would like to push myself more at and, and get comfortable at long distance fast paces but you must remember that now we are eight weeks away from our goal so now we are only entering the real specific phase of the training that i want us to do so yeah. if you look at the way that we're going to be doing our runs coming up it's a different way to, to the way that we were running in, in January. So I think, you know, it's it's relative to the timing of the goal again. Yeah. But I do agree. There's definitely an element of being able to to push hard, push hard for a certain period of time within that to get your body prepared for the outcome. Yeah. And well, um, I'm a big fan of it. And I think that we'll definitely be implementing more of it. But also with your long-term goal right now being comrades-based, it's it's a fine it's a fine needle to thread. Yeah. So you know it's at the end of the day the reason why for you specifically, Davey, I try to get you to run a lot of time slow is because it's almost challenging you mentally to do it because all you do is do those in between runs and it's just more of a challenge to you rather than something that you know I necessarily need you no, to do. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's an interesting way that you put it. But like like you say with the Norwegian, I said there's three gears. Nick's pointing out that you're only using two gears, and that's fa medium and fast. Yeah. yeah. So he's teaching you to use that slow. I down don't need gear. the slow gear. Well, <laughs> I can tell you what. If Davy had the slow gear in 2000, 2022 comrades. He would have probably been able to come in for a silver. <laughs> but, but, but Matt, thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on yeah. the show. We don't need to relive David's demons yeah, at the comrades. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate your time. On a high note.
Thank Guys, you very much. If you want to, if you want to give Matt a follow on social media, Instagram is Washington. Washington. That's give T-I-N it, at the end. Give him a follow on Strava. You will not regret <laughs> it. But Maddie, thanks so much. We'll be looking Thank out you, for boys. those Chicago results. And yeah, awesome to chat to you. Invite me to the long runs. Hundred <laughs> percent. All the best, bro. Thanks, boys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.